Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You think about the person in your life when you started believing you more than anyone else. They're the ones that made the sacrifices. When I walk out, my old man's next to me. They're not just looking at you, they're looking at what made you. Now, what I'm talking about our fucking game. I want them talking about us. Oh, enjoy your lunch, 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 lunch. Welcome, listeners, to The Extra Inch. My name's Windy, and I'm joined by my sidekick and best friend, Barty. Hello, Barty. Hello, Windy. And our tactics guy, and a man who single-handedly brought down the transfer of Antonio Nusa, and with it, the hopes and dreams of all Spurs fans around the land, is Nathan A. Clark. Hello, Nathan. Yeah, yeah, that's right. It's me. It's me personally. I did it. I'm responsible. It's not the nature of Tottenham Hotspur Football Club or the fucking material reality of football, and that's how things work. It's me. I'm doing it. That's right, I agree. <laughs> There's a trend, Nathan, what can I say? He's been paid off by... I can't, I'm trying to figure out whether or not Nathan is a traitor because he's been paid off by the purple and gold <laughs> to do this or he's been paid off by Levy to scupper it. So I'm, I'm still trying to work that out. Maybe we'll do a little round table and figure it How out. How would that work as being in Levy's favour? I think that's me, buddy. Come on, you'd be bad at this. Okay. You're trying he's to save money. <laughs> Try to save the club <laughs> right, money. That's he... what it is. I, I'm I'm Molly to Nathan's Harry. He's 100 percent faithful. I'll, I'll never say anything aside <laughs> from that. Uh, so where do we where do we even start this week? So I liked this one. Robert Pethick said, "Just wanted to get Nathan's opinion on John McKenzie referring to him as a fanalist." I genuinely thought it sounded like a phallic analyst when I first heard it. <laughs> I mean, we have been talking about Richarlison's dick surgery for the last it's three or fair. four weeks, so. Oh, I missed that question in the running order. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I, fanalist used to be a term people used all the time, and then, uh, and then, and then it sort of phased out. <laughs> but, but John brought it back just for me. Yeah, I, I, I um, John comes to me for for stuff on Spurs, and we we chatted through it, and I talked him through my my spreadsheet a bit. So yeah, appreciate that, John. I, yeah, I think people um, pr- perhaps if they're newer listeners don't know that Nathan and John are, are very close friends. In fact, John was the what's the term celebrant at Nathan's wedding. Is sure. that the right term? Um, uh, yeah, he, he did the. He was the master of ceremonies. That's it, the master of ceremonies, uh, and and was also in your stag do. So yes, they're very close friends, and they use one another as as reference points when they're doing their research. We for... watched the city game together last night. Oh, nice! Watched it back. Yeah, for, for a future piece that John's doing, just for the betterment of one another's knowledge. Mm. Very interesting. Well, what that would advance the conversation we're about to have, I'm sure. Would John refer to himself as an analyst, but he puts you down and calls you a fanalist? Is John firing shots? <laughs> puts me down. He, he means that he, he doesn't, it's not, <laughs> it's not, it's not an insult. It's not meant as an insult. He was a fanalist as a, as a Leeds fan and then Bielsa yeah. left and he has very little interest in Leeds since Bielsa went, which is fair enough. And now, you know, professionally, he's an analyst of, of various other teams. I think it does make sense as a term, especially when 
you know, Nathan is a fan first and foremost and an analyst second. And, you know, there are inherent biases in being a fan first. But the reason it's not an insult is that John will agree with me that um, the only way you can reach the highest level of analysis of a team is to be someone who follows them day in, day out over an extended period of time. If you want to know what's happening on the pitch, you have to understand Mm. the last four years of context, not just of what also happened on the pitch over that last four years, but what happened in between every game and everything else. Um, The best content, in my opinion, um, comes from, from fans or at least people who follow a a specific club year round I I really agree with that and I would go as far as adding in a couple of of anecdotes Uh, firstly do you remember before Jermaine Genus was really famous and presented the one show he used to do the I think it was ITV2 coverage of the Spurs Europa League games Mm -hmm. and because obviously he had an attachment to Spurs he watched Spurs every week and he even watched Spurs' under 23s as it was at the time and so when these sort of relatively unknown players would be coming into our first team squad for Europa League games he actually had insight to offer and it was brilliant I was like wow this guy really has research and and uh, knows his stuff. Um, and I know he gets mocked an awful lot, but uh, Jake Humphreys, who used to present BT Sport, once um, ended up telephoning me for 30 minutes to ask about my insights on Spurs. <laughs> Your high performance habits and world-class <laughs> square basics. <laughs> Absolutely. Like eating a but banana he, he cake present- before you start recording. That's, that's <laughs> putting those good Don't give away the trade secrets. Sugar-loading the podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm not doing intermittent fasting like Rishi Sunak. Did you hear about that? Yeah. Um, but yeah, Jake, Jake, Humphreys, Jake Humphreys called me and we had a good talk about Spurs before a North London derby once. And uh, I thought that's actually really impressive that he's taken the time to actually speak to someone who watches the club mm. in, in an obsessive way. Well, he did invent podcasting and everything else, so <laughs> that's, that's what that's what you get. He puts the he puts the effort in, and he's now reaping the rewards. Absolutely. Mm. Uh, so we're obviously um, we're putting off talking about the <laughs> City game. It feels like. Uh, let's start with the starting eleven. Bardi, when your favourite player Pierre Mioyoyer was named in the starting eleven against City, uh, how did you react? There wasn't much of a choice, to be honest with you. It was either Hoiberg or Skip, and that's um, it's a real kind of dilemma or which one you pick. So um, I didn't really have any feelings about it. So I went into the game thinking that James Madison was absolutely nailed on to start, <clears throat> given Ange's previous comments about him being fit and ready. Uh, thank goodness he didn't, in hindsight. He looked an absolute mess out there and he's going to take some time to come back, I think. He yeah. was... Yeah, clearly not at match fitness, right? No, not at all. He looked like we just picked him up off a beach in Ibiza and chucked him on the on the field. He was all over the place. It looked like a dart player on the pitch. He was, yeah, he was really off the pace. Uh, so uh, there's so much to talk about with the City game. I So here's how I'd like to do it. I know that Bardi and I have substantially different opinions in this game and I don't know Nathan's thoughts on the game at all. Uh, so Bardi, I'd like, you, I'd like you to go first on your thoughts on the City game, if that's okay. Uh, I was extremely disappointed by Tottenham and not just exiting the cup, but I just thought everything that we'd been built to believe about this kind of attitude and this enthusiasm in the team just wasn't there. I thought it was really soft. I I thought Romero and Van der Ven were exceptional. I thought Udogi in moments was brilliant, but I thought everybody else was, apart from Richarlison, Richarlison, he worked his ass off, man. He was in bits towards the end of the game. So those three deserve a shout out because I thought they played really well, but everybody else, it was a misery. City manhandled them. 
them, they managed them, they bullied them. And the moments where they did have the ball, we were lacking quality, lacking any, any kind of pizzazz. It was just a really disappointing game. And yes, Man City are great, but one shot against the opposition at home in a cup tie when we've got nothing else to play for this season is really upsetting and disappointing. And it's just not what I expected from Postacoglu and not what he'd been bigging up the whole week. And not, yeah, just disappointing from everybody, really, apart from those three guys. And I think that is a relatively common viewpoint across the, the fan base. I don't think you're alone in, in your thoughts. The, you know, having one shot at home is, it feels pretty bleak on the surface. The reason I disagreed so much is because I, f- I really feel like we were 75% of the way there. I feel like there were aspects of this performance that was so good and so close to being exactly what Postacoglu wants from Spurs. And the final 25% just completely let us down. And I don't want to discount the good stuff because I do think it exists. Well, um, so if I if I well, sort of explain stuff. that in a bit yeah. of detail. So, I mean, you've mentioned centre-backs. I thought they were absolutely brilliant. I thought we defended really well as a, as a, a unit, a team. We restricted City until Hoybier had a brain aneurysm and started doing some ludicrous things in, in that one-minute period. I thought we were really decent defensively. Um, City obviously are, I mean, is it fair to say they're the best pressing side in the world? Um they're certainly one of the best organised pressing sides in the world. And they made it really difficult. And the level of bravery that it takes to continue to play out when you're being pressed like that, I think is really quite something. And we, you know, I, I was thinking back to games where we've been on like Super Sunday and Gary Neville's been commentating and he's been shitting himself on behalf of the fan base about Spurs playing out from the back. Uh, and they're just begging them to just lump it forward. And we did lump it forward a couple of times, but on the whole, we continued to play our football, one and two touch passing. And I think we generally did a really good job of beating that first line of City's press. It was the second line that was a problem. It was it was Rodri and Kovacic who were, who were shutting us down. Um, so I thought the defending was great. I thought the press resistance in our third was really, really decent. And I'd also add that I thought Werner's movements... And to some degree, Johnson's movement, absolutely exceptional. I thought someone, I can't remember who it was, but someone did a compilation on on, um, Twitter, the artist formerly known as Twitter, of of Werner's runs. And he deserved a hell of a lot more. The one time he got through, he was foiled by Kyle Walker, who was essentially the only player in the planet that can do what he did to catch Werner up in that way and and stop him and then somehow win a free kick. Uh, but we failed to find Werner and Johnson on many occasions. And it was it was often due to Rodri and Kovacic being exceptional in the second line of the press. But it was also a lot, in my opinion, due to Bentancourt and Kulusevski being completely off it. Just both really terribly poor. Poro and Udogi being pressed back by City's wingers and not being able to have the creative influence they normally have. And Udogi in particular refusing to make passes over sort of 10, 15 yards. I mean, it's just not in his game to 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 make those passes down the line. And I was, I was reminded of Danny Rose as a left-back. He kind of had a lot of the qualities of Udogi and he was a really good ball carrier. But what Rose had over Udogi, and I do think Udogi is a better player, by the way, was the ability to just arch a pass down the line for whoever was playing ahead of him, be it Bale or Son, 
he would he would pick out the player with a, a timed pass down the line. And Udogi doesn't have that in his locker. And I think it's something he needs to work on because we really wasted Werner in that game. So that's why I thought there was a lot of good stuff. And I was I came away thinking, do you know what? I really admire the bravery of a team to continue doing that. And Hoybier, who has been, you know, we've essentially all deemed him not good enough to play in this system. And I think I think that is, we don't want Hoybier to be starting. That is a, f- a fair comment across the fan base. We, we kind of want to move beyond him. But I think he's done a good job coming off the bench this year. And I thought in his first sort of 60 minutes, thought he was brilliant. I thought he was our best player. I, I genuinely thought he was making interceptions. He made a goal-saving block. He was taking the ball under pressure. He was turning. He was playing one and two touch passes often to then unlock something else. And I felt like he was really let down by his central midfield counterparts who who failed to get us that bit further up the pitch. And Bardi, you're absolutely right. Richarlison, his work ethic is incredible. When he did get the ball, he did a really good job, but we just didn't find him enough. And for me, that's where the game fell apart. It was that link between the midfield and the attack, which I found very disappointing. It's very easy for Schoenberg to hide in a game like this where he just gets around and, you know, does the does the dirty work. But that's not it's not what we were looking for from him or Ben Tunko. I thought Johnson was I thought Johnson was awful. I've been a, a bit of a protector of Johnson. I, I think we need to give him time. It's a, it took like Basuma a year to to get up to speed with Tottenham, so I think it's going to take Johnson equally the same amount of time. But he he got absolutely bullied by Guardiola, and I just found it. I I just imagine had we been sitting here Monday morning and that game had been managed by Antonio Conte, you would be going in on that performance because it was so timid and so scared. And Man City were great. Rodri put in one of the best defensive midfield performances I've seen since like perhaps Busquets at Wembley when he was incredible against us. But it was so tame, man. Everybody was off it, apart from those three guys, that it's a real disappointment that they couldn't muster, that Postacoglu couldn't muster something out. And of course, there's, there's, there's reasons for this. We're missing players. We're missing our first choice for midfield. But we've showed more kind of ambition against Chelsea when we had nine men than we did against City. I just found it all a bit, let's not, let's go for the draw let's not lose and it was real Conte instead of Postacoglu wow okay um I definitely get Bardi's disappointment I'm not just get actually I felt the disappointment right because I was I was really excited for this game I was really up for this game you know um I think that like since like going back to since September I've been like our build-up game is incredible no team can press us in the way they want to press off when we're playing um our preferred collection of, of players in build-up and that was um true for five out of six players right we had Hojbjergen for Bissouma but otherwise we had our back four and we had our, our goalkeeper um and this is really the first time we've properly had trouble with our build-up play with with that many first 11 players in um so I, I, I yeah I definitely get the disappointment to only register one shot um certainly that alone on paper is you're right much more much more Conte Mourinho than, than it is Ange and everything he stands for but um I don't think that that was a matter of intention I don't think that was a matter of attitude um we failed to press City back and maybe that way you could say that was about um attitude uh, and intention but I think that um, we pressed their back passes really tight in the first half, um, put Ortega under pressure because he was sort of a bit of an unknown quantity and his distribution was really strong and I think that caught us out and that forced us to sit more into our, our medium shape. But in terms of what we did on the ball, um, <clears throat> so again, I've said that like 
I think that we're one of the best teams in build up in the world, like as good as any other team, basically. And that didn't that didn't shine through in this. So um once again City set up in a defensively set up in a in a four four two diamond shape, a very narrow defensive shape. Um and in the league game when that happened, um we brought Hoybjerg on in the second half and played more of a four two three one and and therefore had a two against one in that first line of midfield. Um in this game City came prepared for that. And they did what Brighton did as well, which is to fully commit to the press. They they man marked us all the way into our own box. So sometimes putting five players all the way up in the final third of the press. Man marked us all over the pitch, one for one. Um and obviously that put a squeeze on us, um, as, as you would expect. Um, but also obviously there is like um there's a reason teams don't do that all the time. There's a reason that that's really dangerous. And as Winty points to, those there's opportunities where Werner's making a run, Johnson's making a run, Richardson's making a run, mostly Werner though. And we couldn't get that pass off. And there's a number of times where maybe Kulosevsky could have got that pass off, maybe Udogi could have got that pass off. Um, maybe if Madison had started, we would have found that pass. That's true. Um, but one way or another, that didn't really materialize. I mean, once that materialized, and the one time it did materialize is when it was Werner had the ball to feet and he carried inside and he found Johnson through, right? Outside of that, we didn't pick up our runs over the top. We didn't pick our pick up our runs around the corner. And so, um, yeah, we didn't register the shots. We had... Um, a decent expected threat, which is um, it's what it sounds like, right? It's the opportunity to create opportunities. Um, I think we had 0.8 to City's 1.5, 1.6 or so on the one that I saw. Um, but yeah, we couldn't play that that killer ball. And yeah, part of that is, you know, maybe having an off day, maybe missing Basuma in place of Hoybier, but I thought Hoybier was fine. Um, you know, Kulosevsky having a rough game, it happens. Um, Udogi doesn't have that pass in his locker. Um, in my opinion, when, and not if, but when Udogi has that pass in his game, he becomes the best left back in the world. Um, but yeah, how to analyze something like that, it can be tricky, right? Because you don't want to go too far either way. It's definitely true that we failed to create chances. It's definitely true that we had the opportunity to create opportunities, um, but didn't materialize on them. The way I feel about this is, guess where this might go? Um, we played three frontline players whose entire game is to run away from the ball and get through on goal. And um, perhaps if in place of one of those three, um, we had someone who was more comfortable receiving the ball to feet and then creating four others from that situation, um, we'd have been able to better take advantage of that because City essentially repeatedly uh, exposed themselves to a three versus three on their back line. Um, they did so in a way where, um, so more specifically, Nathan Ake pushed up from centre-back, sometimes way, way up to the edge of our box to man-mark Bentoncourt uh, when when he had to pick up Bentoncourt. Um because they, they swapped around quite a lot. Um, and then, therefore, the fullbacks, Walker and Gavardio, who obviously are each part-time centre-backs, Gavardio more than Walker, will then rush back and, and, and cover space in behind, right? <clears throat> the reason why I don't think there's like a ton to learn tactically from about this game is like, if Madison's in the team, or if we have a player in our front line... And like, I'm not just saying, oh, we need a left winger, we need a right footed left winger. Like, if, if it had been a left footer in place of Johnson, or if Richarlison was Harry Kane and he took a touch and could just ping a diagonal ball, you know, over the top around the corner. Obviously, that's not the profile we're looking for, but, but just as an example, any one of those three players could have picked out the other. City's tactical approach to this game 
is is suicidal and i think that maybe not the next same time we see them but if we see them again next season and they take that approach to us that's going to cause them really big problems and i hope that they do it because i think if you've got a you've got a left winger in this game who's quality on the ball who can dribble his man who can pick out a pass not necessarily those in combination just one of those things they're in real trouble because that is that is suicidal. It reminds me, just quickly, it reminds me a couple of years ago, more than a couple of years ago, Pep was at Bayern and he and he and he came up against his old squad in Barcelona and he tried in the first half to man mark um Messi, Neymar and Suarez with mm. Bayern's backline and they just got torn to pieces. It's that same approach. If if there's a player in our front line who can receive the ball to feet, that doesn't work. So I don't think there's a ton to learn tactically um long term about this game. I would go as far as saying we've even had some evidence of that in this game because when Kudasevsky moved to the right, despite being exhausted by that yeah. point, we had our best passing move of the match where he and Hoybier and Charleston link up superbly to then free Skip on the right. And Skip doesn't get his head up and doesn't pick a good cross, but it gives us an opportunity sure. there, which is one of our best, probably where a lot of our expected threat numbers come from, frankly. And, and I agree with you completely, Nathan. And I had this conversation with Shep in the Discord. Shep really knows his stuff, and I really, really rate Shep's opinions. And we just came at this from totally different angles, which is quite unusual for us. He was kind of coming from the same angle as Bardi. And he said, look, whatever, you, like one shot on goal is not acceptable. And we're going to have to change our approach next time we play City. And I'm, I'm thinking, I don't think we do. I think we should stick exactly to this. I think, we, I think it did to some degrees work. And you you factor in having Madison and Basuma and Son into this eleven, and sure, you know there might be an injury or two amongst that group, and or some of the other players next time round, and and maybe City have De Bruyne and Haaland, so it's irrelevant. But I think you factor in those, and I think we see a different outcome. I, I really do, and I. I was so disappointed in Bentancor and Kulusevski in particular in this game because I really felt like if just one of them had been at the races, I think we could have done it. I, re- I really feel like we could have won this game. You know, we went to the Etihad and we had Brian Hill, Ben Davies and Emerson in the team and we played better <laughs> than we did with with our first choice kind of back five. I think there's something really... There was but something City really were in a different place then though. Were they? This is, this is always the thing with Pep is like, if you show him the same hand twice, he's going to come up with solutions. This is always this is always the risk with him. And again, his solution was, in my opinion, high risk, high rewards, and it totally paid off. Um, but like, yeah, we'll adapt and he'll have to adapt again. I don't think that like... I, I, I get what you're saying, um, but like this is, in my opinion, this is like the best coach of the last 20 years, right? This is what he does. It's, it's tough to play against him repeatedly. And I agree with that. I agree with that. And Man City are brilliant. It was just meekness. There was a lot of meekness. There was a lot of... And I I thought... I don't even want to say it, but I'm going to say it. I thought Johnson, he got smacked a couple of times by Guardiola and that was it. He was done. He was finished. And you could see it. Him and Porro were having discussions. There was like Porro, Romero and Johnson, were that little triangle were talking to each other and Johnson's head had just completely left the game. I kind of think that's just the, I think what we got from Johnson is the player that he is, unless he's yeah. through behind, to be honest. I, I don't I don't read too much into getting hit by Guardiola. Um, in, in Johnson's defence, I would say I thought he did some really sterling defensive work and I really like the way he and Porro communicated together and handed over players at the right time and I, I kind of just feel like there's there's sort of no point in um 
talking about his offensive display because the passes didn't come to him. I, I'm not going to blame him for that. I, I think it's, it's like you say, he's not a ball to feet player who's going to take it and take players on and commit them and, and beat them 1v1. He needs the pass to come to him and, and they didn't in that game. I think, uh, buddy, um, it was definitely meek in result, but I don't think that working backwards from that, it was meek in intention. I think that's just how well City caged us in that game and, and props should go to them, I think, rather than um, being too upset at ourselves, in my opinion. Okay. So, so we need to talk about their approach to the game as well. Um, we had this question from Jeff Fields and... Uh, who sent quite a long email, but he ended with City are known for this particular application of a dark arts, yet seldom get called out for it and referees allow it to go on. So I wonder if you agree that the refs were, if, if the refs were a bit more strict and alert, then the game might not have been so one-sided. And this is in relation to their constant tactical fouling. I mean, huge number of fouls wrapped up in this game. But I think it also applies to what we saw for the goal. Oh, yeah. Um, and a lot of people have said that that incident on between... Um, with with Vicario and Diaz, Diaz wasn't a foul, and I agree, I don't think it was a foul. Um, but that he had been constantly fouling him in similar situations in the in the lead up to that. Um, so I, I, I wanted to get your thoughts, Bardi, on their tactical fouling and, and their little devious moments. So I, I couldn't see the goal with live because it was down the other end. But a couple of weeks ago, I was walking the dog and I was listening to Shea Given and they were they were talking about set pieces and people marking the goalkeeper. And they asked him, what would you do if this situation arose? So going back and watching the highlights, you can see Vicario's on his own with Diaz. He's in a, he's in a tussle one-on-one with Diaz. And Shea Given at the time, this was a couple of weeks before, said he would never allow that to happen. He would call a defender in and then he would use the defender to sandwich the, the, def- the attacker and then nullify his ability to interfere with him instead of Vicario having to engage with a defender himself. So I think there was a little bit of man, man management failing there between Tottenham and Tottenham's defensive setup. That shouldn't have been allowed to happen. Um, was it a foul? You've seen him give him, you've seen him not give it. I don't think it was as obvious enough to disallow the goal, which is why VAR probably didn't step in. But I think Spurs managed that poorly. They should have handled it better. Um, as regards their tactical fouls, even though it felt like we were getting penalised a lot by the ref on the day, I think City like doubled, did double the amount of fouls to us. Um, and they're just smart at doing that. You, you, you have to almost get Rodri booked immediately. As soon as you get Rodri booked and then Diaz booked, all of a sudden their ability to kind of stop the counter goes away. And the referee didn't do that. And perhaps we didn't we didn't create the situations where it was it warranted a yellow card enough. Nathan, their their dark arts tactics, what do you make of it? Um well, tactical fouling, I mean, obviously, it's really tough. Um, I do think that they're underpunished. And I think that teams generally have been underpunished against us this season on our on our transitional plays. But also, there's going to be games where we dominate and we're going to do tactical fouls, right? And it's like, yeah. you know, what exactly are you asking for here? Because I think that um, I think a lot of the best football there has been to watch over the last decade has been at least somewhat held up by the ability to defend transitions um, by by making cynical fouls, right? And if you take that away, if you say that's a red card every time or that's a yellow card on its first and a second yellow card on its second situation, um, you know, does uh, does Mourinho become a <laughs> relevant <laughs> tactical coach in the game? Like, what, what, what do we lose? What's the trade there? And I think it's tough. I still feel like City get away with too much. Um, and then, yeah, I guess kind of similar for the, the keeper thing. It seems like there's been um, an increase in allowance on what you can do to a keeper this season. Apparently, Arsenal have been putting Ben White on the keeper all season in set pieces. So my reaction is like... Um, 
rather than be upset about the rules or their application is to take advantage of the situation myself and start putting Van der Veen on keepers every game. Absolutely. I completely agree. I I also just think in this situation, like Rod um, Diaz is allowed to jump. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's not Vicario's designated space. Like the six yard box isn't his and he's the only one that's allowed to jump. Diaz is allowed to jump and people seem very upset about the fact that he sort of jumped into, in air quotes, Vicario. I don't think he did. He just jumped towards the flight of the ball and he is allowed to do that. There's nothing stopping him doing that. If he's holding Vicario down and, and obstructing him from jumping, now that's a different story, but that wasn't the case on this one. And I, I do think it's a legitimate goal and I'm pleased it's a legitimate goal because I think goalkeepers are have been overprotected for a long time. Yeah, I um I used to do this, Dan, fives and sevens sides and really upset my mates because I, I, like, I was playing that when I was at my like my heaviest. So like um, uh, 18 and a half stone, which is 260 pounds, which is 150 kilograms. So just go and like not even jump, just go and stand in the keeper's personal space, and and it was a, <laughs> it was a nightmare for them. So I guess I can't I can't be a hypocrite, right? Enough of this uh, this depressing chat, uh, Bardi. Do you have a trivia question for us this week? Let's play a little game of Who Am I? I joined Tottenham from West Ham in 2011, having never played a game for the Hammers. I went on to amass two games at Spurs, but in that time I played 89 games out on loan, including 45 at Wednesday's opponents, Brentford, where I also scored 12 goals and was named in the championship team of the season. Who am I? I believe you might be Alex Pritchard. Oh, I thought that might be a, a bit too easy for you, Winda. Yeah, well done, Alex Pritchard, who, who's got some beef with Sunderland at the moment, hasn't he? Yeah, he's joining Millwall, it seems, on a free transfer. He's uh, decided that his time at Sunderland is over and uh, I assume he's getting a big signing on for you, so fair play to him. Nathan, would, would you have got it? Yeah, if Windy wasn't here and also I had about 10 minutes to work through it, I could have gotten it, but I didn't stand it. I wasn't going to beat him in a race. Um, what was? Can any of you remember Alex Pritchard's best moment in the Spurs shirt? It wasn't um, officially with the first team. He he did had a really couple of brilliant performances in the next gen in series. the next gen in Europe. Yeah, the did he? Gen. Did he's like okay? Yeah, is that yeah? Yeah, he tore. Did Barcelona he get like a, a hat trick and an assist or something? Yeah, four goals, four goals away at uh, Barcelona goals. tore them apart. Taking care of your health isn't always easy, but it should at least be simple. This is what I want from my life, my friends: simplicity. Things like winning cup matches and perhaps one day winning another trophy. It's been a long time. 
I take this simplicity into what I stick into my body. I'm in training mode at the moment for the Milan Marathon. So I'm thinking about what I eat, where I run, how I run and my heart rate. It's quite a lot to think about on a daily basis, especially when you don't factor in work, my life and everything else. That's why I'm happy with my AG1. I don't need to worry about what I'm getting and what I'm not getting. I trust their boffins in the lab to do the scouting, the data and the testing for me. There's no noose or mistakes here, just straight facts and then the ingredients are delivered. I just get home from my run, chuck everything in my little AG1 shaker and get it down me. It's tasty, it's fresh and I feel like I'm doing something good to my body, not like traipsing up the high road to watch one shot on target. I enjoy the simple things. I enjoy my AG1 and right now, mate, I'm not enjoying you as much. If there's one product we had to recommend to elevate your health, it's AG1, and that's why we've partnered with them for so long. So if you want to take ownership of your health, start with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3 plus K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com forward slash extra inch. That's drinkag1.com forward slash extra inch. Check it out. Nathan, we referenced earlier that uh, you you specifically (laughs) had ruined... Uh, the transfer of Antonio Nisa to Spurs. Um, this is because there is a, a trend forming in which you uh, research, produce um, videos on potential targets, you scouting videos, and then the targets, the proposed transfer falls through and everyone's very cross with you. <laughs> um, obviously, transfers are always somewhat precarious. In this instance, it appears that... So here's, here's what I think has happened here. Spurs went in quietly for Nusa because they know that he's a player that a lot of clubs wanted. Mm-hmm. And they thought, just get the deal done, get it quietly over the line while everyone else is sleeping on him. It seemed like we were going to sign him and then loan him back to Club Brugge. Um, but Club Brugge were having none of that. And instead, they uh, encouraged bids from elsewhere. And unfortunately for us, Brentford bit. And frankly, I think that is a masterstroke from Brugge and, and that should be applauded. Uh, also, I think Noosa has made a fantastic decision for himself because he will be a weekly starter for Brentford, whereas if he came to Spurs, I think he would be a, an impact sub. So he is an 18-year-old Norwegian, full Norwegian international, and Nathan was very, very high on him. Uh, and I, I really enjoyed your video, and I came away with a completely different take to you from, from the video. Um, on his decision, like I get it, and I know that, um, you know, Brentford have historically done very good uh, in terms of, you know, pathways, development pathways. Um, and I also get like looking at the Spurs squad and be like, well, they've got Sun and they've just brought in Werner and they do also have Solomon and Hill. So like how many more wingers do they need? And Johnson sometimes plays on the on the left and um and then they've got all of the half of those can play on the right and they've got Kulusevsky on the right. Like they've they've already got loads of wingers. But you could also look at that and see like Hill and Solomon are on their way out. Um Kulusevsky's future is probably in midfield. Werner is maybe only staying for the rest of the season and not sticking around. Johnson's probably not gonna be in the first eleven long term. And and Noose is probably the only one of them who actually fits the profile needs that we're crying out for. So I think that there were minutes for him at Spurs. Do you feel differently to that, Wendy? I do. I feel very differently. I think um My main takeaway was that he is a brilliant talent Mm. for an 18-year-old, but I think that caveat really applies. I think, like, you clearly think he's a brilliant talent, full stop, and should be, like, in the first team. Uh, For me, his decision-making is really questionable. And I think, um, I think, 
you do a really good job in your videos to not just show highlights like you show what they're actually like because and like loads of youtubers put together highlight reels sure. and it doesn't really tell you a great deal about play you can make great highlight reels for every, any player but you show the reality you show the the nuts and bolts of the player what they're like in in just a random game and I just saw bad decision after bad decision after bad decision from Nuzer. And clearly the talent is there. Like he's brilliant at beating his man. He takes the ball into his stride so neatly. It looks so smooth and composed, but um, just ran into blind alleys all the time. It really reminded me of uh, Luis Diaz, who <laughs> I thought when Liverpool first signed him was a hell of a signing. And every time I've watched him since, I have not been jealous, basically, because I think he runs into cul-de-sacs way too often. And sometimes he'll get out of that cul-de-sac and smash it in the top corner, but mostly he won't. Um, and, and I also didn't see any evidence in that Nusa video of, of crossing ability. I thought his crossing technique was poor. His crossing decisions were poor. And I was just generally, I came away thinking like, if any of our best youth players were playing in, hmm. in the Belgian league, like they would be getting this hype because he kind of compares to like a um, Mikey Moore, you know, like Mikey Moore is equally brilliant at beating players. And of course, Mikey Moore beats 18 year olds mm-hmm. or whatever. And Noose is beating grown ass men. And there's a difference there, but I would way rather create space for our own talent that are, that good than whack down 30 million plus a 12 and a half percent sell on clause for an 18 year old who I think has, has really questionable decision-making. Like he's a massive work in progress for me and I'm very happy for him to figure it out at Brentford. Is this transfer the end of ITK? <laughs> Seriously. I knew you'd take this path. Seriously. Because it was done. No, it was done. Nathan's making It wasn't videos. done. Who said it was all, done? All the ITKs, Tapping Merchant himself, Mr. Romano is like, it's done, it's done. Everybody's sending links, celebrating. <laughs> and it's not done. It's far I... from done. He goes to Brentford. Nobody said Brentford. Everyone was saying Liverpool, this, this, this. And he goes to Brentford. ITK died. Thank you. Noosa, maybe he can't complete a cross, but he completed a, a tapping assist to end ITKs. It's all over. All, they're all in the mud. <laughs> No one said Brentford, <laughs> and did. it happened. Where were they? Sleeping. So, uh, ITKs aren't fortune tellers. They don't look into the future. They're they don't like facts. see things that haven't happened yet. Yeah, but transfers change. Like, think facts change as things progress. I think it's like I do think it's reasonable for someone to say I've got pretty good info that Spurs really like Noosa and I've got a deal on the table and then for that to change because there's a there's another club interested or you know in this case it sounded like we wanted him now and uh, that might have changed the terms of transfer like Brugger suddenly wanted more money if we wanted him now because we're going to take away their chances of do well in the league or whatever um, so I do think things will change and that doesn't necessarily mean the information's bad <laughs> I only trust Pletterberg. That's what I've decided. The German dude. He, he was, <laughs> he's right most of the time. Nathan, were you going to say something then? I feel like I interrupted nah, you. Nah, I, was, I, was, I was trying to work out a terrible forehead joke, but I decided to leave it. <laughs> um, so, Bardi and I, at least, I don't know if Nathan's available, will be recording after the Brentford game, which is a little further into the, the final few days of the transfer window. So maybe by then there'll be some more rumours to talk about. But it does appear that Spurs' business might be done at this stage. Um, suggestions that we either needed to sell Hoybier or, or Brian Hill in order to 
um, get another deal done because the squad's quite stuck, stacked at this point and there's a lot of wages we need to clear off the books, clear the decks a bit, make some space for Gallagher or Aderson or whoever it might be. Jacob Ramsey is the other one that's been um, linked this week. But who knows? Maybe there'll, maybe there'll be something happening um, by the time we record again on Wednesday night. Uh, I'm hoping for some more youth loans to happen. I think that'll be a really good step forward. Um there's definitely been a change in approach in, in regard to our youth players going out loan, and I'm I'm very pleased to see that. Um, Nathan, what do you reckon? Any any further deals to be done? Um, it seems like you know if opportunities arise, we're always on on the lookout for opportunities. Um, we may bring youth players in because that's a separate operation. Um, but it seems like an actual first eleven edition is was reliant on Hoibio going, and Hoibio ain't going. So this is it for now. It's really stuck. And if that is the case. He's really stuck his feet, as, in, as he? he likes to do. <laughs> yeah, and just refusing to. But he rejected Leon, according to ITKs. I do. Yeah, um, that's a good decision. Yeah, yeah, for sure. The, the first good decision is made. So, I, a lot of my ITK is based on my gut, and my yeah. gut, my gut leads me to believe what I think is going to happen. So, Gallagher, I've never been sold on Gallagher because my gut didn't believe that it was going to happen. However, Ramsey's an interesting one because he, he's he's a very bardy midfielder. He's really leggy, can move around. So, I'm even though Gallagher's probably a better player, I'm a bit more excited about Ramsey, and I, I could probably my gut tells me that could happen. But Gallagher, forget it, never happening. So if nothing further happens, Bardi, and we end the window with just Werner and Dragushin um, having come in and Dyer, Larice, Perisic, and then a bunch of lonies going out, how, how do you feel about the window? How do you rate that window? I mean, we've barely got any games left, so it's all right. Um, rating windows is always difficult. I think Werner's a decent squad player who we can send back to Germany when uh, when the spring comes. And Dragusin, he improves our centre-back options, which is nice. Uh, so it's been okay. It's been okay. Uh, yeah, I think pretty good, like from what you would typically expect from in January, right? Um, in terms of, you know, it looked like for a moment we might improve our winger situation, but um, to get two, uh, you know, at least squad quality transfers over the line in January is, is, is more than you typically expect. I guess... Dragushin's passing is still an unknown and it will be a couple of weeks at least before I can say, you know, oh, this guy can definitely be an option for us. Oh, oh no, I've got big concerns about this guy being an option for us because that's that's still just a bit of an unknown quantity, um, unknown quality uh, as far as I'm concerned. Um, but yeah, wouldn't expect too much more from in January, right? So it is what it is. I really hope Fair. we go big in the summer for a couple of key first 11 quality players. Yeah, I do I do feel like that is, that is coming. There's plenty still to clear out and I think we'll see lots of incomings um, as well um, I do think a midfielder now would really give us a boost having said that the idea that Sar and Basuma are coming back into the squad soon is a really nice thought um, I just wanted to touch a little bit more on the midfield performances against City before we go um, we've already said that Madison was a mess there, there was it was a reminder to me that not every player can come back and just sure. be good again straight away because sometimes you do take that for granted, especially, you know, Bentancourt came back and looked really good against Villa until he got re-injured. And then... And, 
and and Van de Ven has stepped back in and looked like he's never been away. And and that is not the norm. And Madison looks like he will take a good few games to get up to speed. And man, he was sluggish on the ball, just not anywhere near the at the pace of the game. And 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 that's going to take some time. It didn't help us at all. His his introduction. Everybody wanted to see it. Everybody thought everybody thought we were going to get the Madison that you know pre-injury Madison, but he came on and if anything, it hurt us a little bit. He just it's like him and he just needed a couple more weeks. They got De Bruyne who's just coming back and had Madison had that kind of run up. I do think if we had got the draw and re- gone for the replay, I think we would have been a, in a much stronger position because I think City would then start be think they would start to think about Champions League. Madison would have a few more games, and I think it, our best opportunity opportunity would have been a replay but yeah it just came too quick for Madison unfortunately I was hoping maybe a free kick or a corner or something but we didn't even get that yeah and I also um I've already mentioned I thought Ben Senko had a particularly poor game I, I kind of want to flag a little bit of concern about Ben Senko. I mean I, I've um I've been saying this whole time that I think is the absolute ideal eight for Angeball and I'm wondering if, if it's a fitness thing, but I thought he was really dreadful in that role against City, like really, really bad. And in hindsight, as much as I thought Hoybier until he went nuts at the end, I thought he had a good game, a solid game. I actually think in hindsight, maybe Ben Zancor at the six would have been the better option with Skip playing. And I, you know, I'm someone who does not rate Skip in the system, but I do think he was good when he came on. He he, he kind of had some sensible touches, that insane turn he made in the corner of his own box. Um, and yeah, I, I think Benton Court of a six might have worked better because there's less being asked of him physically. And I do think our fan base has slightly overrated Benton Court. As much as I think he's really good and I think he'll fit the system brilliantly, he is not a perfect player by any stretch. He is not someone who's going to look like he makes every right decision, every right pass. Um, and he certainly didn't against City. As much as I rate him and I think he's a good player, like, yeah, I think he has become a little overrated in his absence. He never has, though. He's always been liable to give the ball away and try stuff that doesn't work. But I think that's I think that's generally all right with him, but perhaps not in the sixth role. That's maybe where it doesn't work, and perhaps he's better trying those things further away from his own goal. But I, I do think he was under a real exceptional circumstances. It was a real tight game for him. And I, I don't think Kuliseski and Schoenberg either side helped him at all. But he's, I still, I, th- I think you're perhaps people have overrated him. But I think you're, I think you're doing him a little bit of a disservice because he was, he was exceptional, exceptional last season and good the season before. Yeah, I'm really hoping he can get back to those performance levels because he had a very serious injury and it's going to take mm. him some time. Um, I'd just be very glad to have Saar and Basuma back from from their exploits and then they're both both of them are doing really well in the African Cup of Nations, um, progressing nicely. So good luck to them. You have been listening to The Extra Inch with me, Windy, my sidekick and best friend, Barney, and our tactics guy, Nathan Aikla. If you like this, there's plenty more at patreon.com forward slash the extra inch. Production is by Nathan A. Clark. Our logo, artwork and website are designed by Trayton Miller. Our music is by David Lindmer. You can find him on Instagram at David Lindmer. Do check him out. He's great. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Extra Inch. Email us at podcast at theextrainch.co.uk. Subscribe, leave us a rating and a review. And most importantly, be sure to tell all of your Spurs friends. Shout out to the X-Sub, we love every single last one of you. And of course, come on you Spurs. Thank you.